Howdy, friends. I am Molly, your host today, and I would like to welcome you back to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in the areas of restoration, training, and outreach. And it's really fun because we do this by using a combination of exploring biblical principles and then also taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course And then my favorite part, we have tons and tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it really means to follow Jesus in these three areas. So as per usual, I'm super excited for today's episode. And this one's really, really special because we're going to be sitting down not only with Sandy Orchard, our co-founder and vice president, hello, but also joining us is Alan Hughes. So Alan is the senior pastor at the Abbey at Polly's Island in South Carolina, and he's also the executive director of the AMIA, which is the Anglican Mission in America. And so we've worked with Alan for a few years now and absolutely love his insight. And he has seriously ministered to thousands of people with his teachings and just with his presence. So he's even written a book titled The Good Soil. And so today we're going to get kind of a big synopsis, but we're going to be looking at it through a different lens. We're going to be looking at it through the life of Joseph. So I'm very excited. Welcome, you guys. It's good to be here. Hello, hello. Are you as excited as I am? Yes. Yes. This is going to be fun. It is. So, Alan, will you kind of give just a big, broad picture of what we're going to be talking about today? Be happy to. Uh, My heart and passion is that disciples of Christ really engage in the abundant life that Jesus promises. Yeah. That they, often they're just so frustrated that They've become believers, and yet they don't know how to order their life and live their life in a way where they experience the joy and the peace, uh, where they the promises of Jesus, like, you're going to do greater things than I. Mm-hmm. Come unto me who are you know weary, and I'll give you rest. And so how does that abundant life take shape in the life of a believer? And I think it's through this thing called discipleship. Yeah. And in discipleship, I think there's some component parts that are really critical to understand. And that's calling. Mm-hmm. How do you hear the voice of God? The nature of his equipping, the ongoing work, the sanctification, if you will, of a disciple, how that all works within community. And then finally, how that points to your ministry or yeah. those good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And so that's the basic sort of handholds and footholds I work with. And I often use the story of Joseph to to illustrate how that works and how that plays out in the life of a believer. Yeah, that's so good. And with that, then if that's where we're kind of going, then I think to get us kind of on a good foundation, then Sandy, will you kind of give a brief, broad brushstroke of Mm -hmm. the life of Joseph? Yeah, the bird's eye view of it all. Yeah, and where is it found? It's in Genesis. Yeah, so it's in Genesis uh, 37 through 50. And actually, I was reading the other day about it, and I thought thought it was really interesting. In in the the book of Genesis, more time uh, is given to the story of Joseph than any other story in all of Genesis. So there must be something there that's like God wants us to learn and really wants us to look at. Yeah. So yeah, I'll just give you the uh, the overall picture, and um, but I would encourage the listeners if you don't know the there's a lot of details. <laughs> if you really want to dig it, take a deeper dive, that I would encourage you to to read the full story. So we have the story of Joseph. Uh, of course, it's we've we've already mentioned that it's in Exodus. He's uh, the youngest of of twelve sons, and they 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 believe that Joseph was actually somewhere around seventeen years old. So he's a young teenager, and his father was Jacob. And so Jacob really loved Joseph more than all the other brothers, and he showed it by giving him this beautiful coat of many colors. Um, and uh, by the way, this is kind of a little tangent, um, that coat of many colors is really considered like a prophetic sign of royalty and power. So there's a little future sign there about what Joseph might become. So being the favorite really caused a lot of problems. Joseph knew it. He knew he was the favorite, and he milked it for for all it's worth. And so the son, and then to make it worse, the sons, the brothers, were actually really aware of that. And so 
Um, they were that, and that, that in itself caused a lot of jealousy and a lot of issues. And then to make it even worse, <laughs> Joseph actually had a series of dreams where like, in essence, in the dream, all the other family members are bound down to him. But even when Joseph told these dreams to his family, he didn't, didn't really do it very well. And so he actually kind of lorded it over them. And so he was kind of just young and immature about the, the whole thing. And that just really provoked the brothers a lot to the point where they, they got sick of him, so much so that they wanted to get rid of him. And um, they were actually talking about killing him. But fortunately, one of the other brothers steps in and stops that whole process. But ultimately, they, they, they did go with, through with their, with their plan to get rid of Joseph. And so they sold him to some traveling slave traders that were passing by. And the, tr- the slave traders were actually taking him as a slave to Egypt. And so once he got there, he was sold into one of the high-ranking government officials in Pharaoh's court named Potiphar. So hopefully um, you guys remember that like Pharaoh, he's the most powerful king in the entire world at the time. So it's like a really big deal that Joseph would end up in this place. And so as a, as a slave, as a young man... Um, Joseph really, he, he was determined to follow God with everything in him, even as a young man. And so um, he kept looking to God, even through the hardship of this whole process. And he really ended up uh, having a lot of favor on his life and really prospered really well. And so because he made wise choices with, his, his, with Potiphar, he, ro- he really rose up in rank in the whole household staff until one day, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him into having an affair with him. But Joseph, as he's following God, um, he just didn't want to have anything to do with it. So he ran away from her. But the accusations, they stuck. And Potiphar ended up putting young Joseph, the teenager, into prison. And he sat there for a really long time. So eventually in the story, um, King, the Pharaoh, ended up banishing to, to the prison two of his other servants, a cupbearer, that's kind of like a butler, a cupbearer and a baker. And so they became friends. And after a while, both the cupbearer and the baker had some crazy dreams and they ended up telling Joseph and they didn't know what to do with these dreams. So being the man of God that Joseph was trying to, to grow into, he um, prayed and asked God for the interpretation and God gave him the interpretation for these dreams. And then, uh, and so finally the day came when uh, one of the servants, the cupbearer, the butler dude, uh, he actually got released. And so Joseph was putting all his hopes on that cupbearer that the cupbearer would actually talk to the Pharaoh about Joseph, about him. Um, and But unfortunately, the cupbearer, he completely forgot in all the excitement of getting out of prison, he completely forgot about Joseph. So Joseph sat in prison for another two years. So one day, the king himself, the pharaoh, had two dreams that he totally didn't understand, and no one could tell him what they meant. So the cupbearer remembered, at this point, the cupbearer remembered Joseph, and he tells pharaoh about Joseph. So this big day comes for Joseph. He's going to be brought to the king, into the king's courtroom, and um, be, and then the king would tell him the dream, and um Joseph had a quick prayer and God really worked through Joseph to tell him the interpretation for the dream. And, and these were really significant, highly significant dreams. The dream was actually a warning that there'd be seven good years ahead of, of the whole country with lots of food and provision, followed by another seven uh, years that would be bad for the country of drought and famine. And so in essence, the dream was a warning that Egypt was going to be in really big trouble. And so the king, I mean, he was really stirred by the whole thing. So he asked Joseph, wow, what should I do? And so Joseph, being uh, led by God, really heard from God and, and gave good advice to uh, the Pharaoh at the time. And he said, well, how about if you take a portion of the grain from every good year of harvest in those seven good years and store them away in, in large barns and save it up for those seven bad years? And so um, that was incredible advice. And so Pharaoh actually did what Joseph suggested and made Joseph like second in command in his whole country, top in the top part of his government. And so through that whole experience, Joseph, who was sold to slave traders, ended up as a slave, ended up in the, in the prison 
um, and even through all that experience, was still following God and ended up in, in this really high position in the government, ended up not only saving Egypt, but saving the entire known world at the time that had to deal with the drought and the famine. So hopefully I kind of gave a, uh, a good overview. Yeah, that. that was a great overview. There's a lot more details and I'm, yeah, so. Yeah, so then what I want to ask then, Alan, is so how does this story of Joseph fall into the things that are really on your heart with the calling and the equipping and the community and the ministry? And then how does that apply to us today? You got it. Well, I think the first one is the very nature of being a disciple is hearing the voice of God. Yeah. It's him calling to us. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to be known. In fact, if we look back in the garden, the first thing that God does after they sin, (laughs) after they sin, is he calls to them. Mm -hmm. Even in their sin, God calls to us. It's his nature. And so I want believers to know that God is constantly trying to make his will known to us. Yeah. And that being his disciple is being his sheep, and the sheep know his voice. So how do we hear the voice of God on an ongoing, regular basis? That's the nature of calling. Yeah, We hear it through reading the Bible. We hear it through prayer. We hear it in solitude. We can hear it through community. We can hear his voice through the circumstances, that small, still voice. And so God breaks through in our lives with a call in our lives. And then when we look at the life of Joseph... We pick it up with this incredible call on his life. Mm-hmm. He gets these dreams, as you've talked about, where his brothers and his mom and his dad are bowing down to him, that he's this great figure who's sort of saving the world and, you know, it's worshiping. It's an incredible sense of calling that is placed on the life of this 17-year-old boy mm-hmm. in this favorite thing. And so I think believers, we get a sense of calling. We, we, we do, when, when people become Christians, they, they start to hear his voice. They start to get a sense of what God's calling them to do. And that's the beginning of discipleship. Yeah. And that's the beginning of it for Joseph. Now, we see how he's handled that calling, right? Yeah. As he's, a 17-year-old, you mean? <laughs> as a 17-year-old. As a teenager. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's mocking his brothers. Mm -hmm. He knows his brothers hate him already because he's the favorite. He knows that. And he just is rubbing that milk in it for all it's worth. Look how special I am. Look how great I am. Look how much God favors me. And so that mishandling of calling is something that I think happens a lot in the life of Christians. And so I think the Joseph story helps us become aware because I think a lot of people's story is, well, I thought God wanted me to do this, or I thought God was moving me in this direction, and yet I ran into all these issues and problems. So you're saying that a lot of believers think that once they, okay, I've, I finally understand what God wants me to do, and then there's this misconception that it's going to be just like the, the easy street, the easy uh, you know, journey in life to accomplish that calling. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, God's calling is always going to involve some suffering. Yeah. It's always going to involve some healing. It's mm-hmm. going to always involve some things. And I think what happens is we hear in part and we know in part. And so that sense of calling often gets conflated with a worldly view of yes. calling, which is success and fame and money and all the good things, right? Mm-hmm. Success up and to the right. Everything's going to work out. God's with me. You know, that sort of, you know, whatever it's, you know, I'm going to have prosperity, that whole prosperity Uh gospel mindset. Now that I'm in here, it's all going to be good and work out. So there's a preconceived notion. Preconceived notions, confusing with the world. Mm -hmm. Because we'll start to put then what we define as cultural success in society with God's success. And those two things, when you start to confuse the two, it gets messy. And then, of course, you're going to be distraught because that's not how God works. That's not how he thinks. That's not how he moves. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so when we start to think that, man, I've got this calling on my life and I've heard the voice of God and I'm discerning that. And now I'm thinking that everything's just going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy <laughs> all the way to the top where people are going to applaud. And, and everybody's going to like you along the way. Everyone's going to like me. Every single person. It's all going to work out. But that's not what we see, is it? No. I, what I, I try to say is there's usually three things that 
keep people from fully living into their calling. And the first one is you have to deal with your past hurts and wounds, yeah. the trauma you go through. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. No one gets through this world unscathed. The pain, the isolation, the abandonment, the abuse, the fill in the blank, mm-hmm. everyone is going to be experiencing these things. And we look at like Joseph, right? This whole favoritism is sort of a generational sin that came down from his father. Mm, and and yeah. he loves being the favorite, right? And so he's that's that's a core sort of wounding that he's going to have to deal with throughout his life. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Yeah. We see how he deals with that pain. And that's where I... <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I'm the youngest daughter, <laughs> but I always tease my sisters and I'm like, I'm totally the favorite. favorite. Yep. yep. And what I really like is whenever you bring up that we have to deal with our past wounds, I'm telling you that is so true. I mean, here's the thing. And I know in our journey of restoration mm-hmm. e-course, I mean, we talk about how it's when our past and those past wounds start to invade our present, then it impacts our future. Because if we're seeing everything through a lens of hurt or through a lens of all the things that have been done to us, and if we're not willing to choose to meet Jesus in it or to find out where he was in it, then we're looking at the world through a distorted lens. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't get past that. Yeah. I mean, part of my story is um, I had some quote unquote success and started churches and developed ministry. And I finished uh, finishing up a doctorate degree. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I have a sense of God's calling. He's really yeah. been, you know, setting me up. And then no job. <laughs> wow. Nothing. And uh, tragic events where my brother was unjustly killed. And God took me out of ministry for a whole season. It was very difficult, very painful. And I'm like, yeah. Lord, what, why all of this? I thought you were calling me to do this, this, this thing. And I'm just working a job nine to five, just mm-hmm. trying to pay the bills. And it's just killing me. And the Lord said, I can't use you until you deal with the judgment that's in your heart. Oh, okay. Wow. It came from parents' divorce. It came uh-huh. from lots of loss. It came from uh, using a gift of discernment to be overly critical of other people. Yeah. And so God had to work in my heart to get me to get past that judgmental nature so that he could send me to do the things that he's called me to do. So he had to deal with my past hurt uh-huh. and wounds so that I could live into my calling. Yeah. I would have rather skipped it. I remember <laughs> I said, the Lord's like, I got to deal with their judgment. I'm like, well, can we do that now? <laughs> he kind of yeah. laughed. Can we do that today? No, it's yeah. going to take a season. It's yeah. going to take a while. A year and a half later. And that's because he's all about the heart. Yeah. You know, he wants he wants your heart and he wants your heart in relationship. And if there's anything that's doing it for self-gain or self-protection or anything involving the self, <laughs> he's going to get that out of there. I mean, and he weeds it out. He will not let a person, a place, a ministry, a calling stand in the way of the desires and the things that he's actually going to fill within you. Right. He won't let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, he's calling us to look like Jesus, really. Yeah. And so those things that like that you had just expressed, Alan, perhaps that didn't look like Jesus and you're not alone and we're all like that, you know, but I think we lose sight of the fact that that, you know, the end game is that he's calling us to really look like Jesus to the world. And so, yeah, we're going to, he's maybe, he may be saying to us, Hey, there's some things over here that really don't look like my son, Jesus. And, uh, let's, let's go down the path of you dealing with those things. And so, um, it's, so it's hard to remember that when you're in the midst of the whole of dealing with your past wounds, you know? And so you look at the life of Joseph, right? So he gets this amazing call and then he has to go through being thrown into a pit, being, Imprisoned. Imprisoned. His brothers turned on. Falsely accused. Falsely accused. And then actually in the prison, he tells the cupbearer, hey, remember me. And it says, and the cupbearer forgot all about him. And they forget him. And for two more years, he stays in prison, right? And so through that, the Lord was dealing with that so that when his brothers show back up towards the end, he has to actually leave the room on multiple occasions and and weep in tears because he... He loves them so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he has dealt with those wounds and that favoritism and owned his part, right? We see him develop, and now he's actually living into his calling. Okay. And it's all different. 
And so that's going to be more in the equipping process. Exactly. So that's the second reason that people don't live into their calling is they have too much pride to be equipped by God. And mm-hmm. equipping is really two things. It's being and doing, right? Psalm 78 tells us that David led with integrity of heart and skillful hands. Yeah. Both character and the ability, and competency to, to lead, a, to be a king over a, a nation. Yeah. And so Joseph had to be equipped. He had to build his character, dealing with his wounding. He had to know how to stand up. And we see him in Potiphar's house, right? And his wife wanted to have an affair with him. He, mm-hmm. he said nobody was in, you know, it looked like he could even have gotten away with it. And we see his character development where he says, no. Yeah. I'm going to, even if it costs me, even if I'm falsely accused, I'm taking a stand. Yeah. And we see him developing his gifts. At 17, he had no gifts at all. But in Potiphar's house, he's given the administration of the whole household. Mm. So he's learning how to administrate all kinds of different things. So he's learning new skill sets. A new skill set. And then in the jail, that administrative skill, which Mm -hmm. is exactly the skill set that he's going to have to use. Even in the jail. Yeah. And then when he gets to be in charge of Egypt and all the grain for seven years, how do we order that so that we can feed the world the next seven years Mm -hmm. when there's going to be great famine? He had to administrate all that in a way. The equipping can be even in the least likely of places because I think people are like, man, I'm going to go to this Bible study and be equipped. I'm going to do this four week course and then suddenly I'm going to be equipped. But God uses our everyday circumstances for that training ground and and for how we develop and like you said, in character and in competency because no knowledge is wasted. So the things that you'll learn you know, back here on this side, like you have no idea how God's going to use it later down road. Well, I I think too that like when, like you had mentioned, I'm going to learn in the Bible studies and that sort of thing. There's, I mean, it's one thing to learn it on a cognitive level Mm -hmm. and and that's a really good thing. But boy, once you get out into the world, it gets tested. Like your character gets tested because if you're rubbing up against people, maybe they agree with you, maybe they don't, or it's the circumstance or whatever. So by being out in the world to get out of that little academic setting, now it's like the metal, you know, the metal meets the road kind of thing, however that saying goes. <laughs> um, it gets tested. I mean, people push you. People um, are going to push you to your limits. And so what's going to come out? Yeah. And so is it the stuff you learn in the Bible study or is it really like your flesh? Or is it going to be, yeah. And I know I've, <laughs> this might be a sidebar, but I know one of the most impactful things, uh, Sandy, that you and Dr. Lori had imparted to me was where are you compromising or to look at your life and say, if there's any compromise mm-hmm. in your life, if you'll compromise in one area, mm-hmm. then you'll compromise in more. And if you'll compromise here, then whenever you do get, you know, that thing, that one little thing will send you right over the edge and it'll crush you because mm-hmm. you've already started compromising. And I remember it was just the I was doing an eyesight test. Um, I hadn't had an eye exam in like <laughs> 10 to 12 years, maybe. And we were sitting there and I was like, man, it's going to be, it's expensive to get your eyes tested. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be like a hundred, $175 for that. And then you've got $400 to $600 worth of contacts for a year. And I was like, man, or I can go online and there's an online thing that said, you know, for 20 bucks, we'll do your eye exam and you just use your phone and you hold it far away. But the catch was that you had to have had an eye exam within the last 10 years or within the last year. And I hadn't had one in like 10 years. And I was like, well, to compromise, to save money, like I'll just say, like I'll just lie in this one area and say, of course I've had an eye exam within the last year. And I remember Dr. Lori looking at me and she was like, no compromise. (laughs) <laughs> like, no, if you'll compromise here, you'll compromise yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And is God on a budget? Like, if he's like, what are, why are you talking about the God of the universe? All that to say is character development happens everywhere. Yeah. So that, I mean, I'm all for formal equipping. Yeah. Like, Hey, we, I want to go learn this specific thing and formalized training, but God is so efficient. He's not going to waste any moment mm-hmm. and he's equipping you when you're stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, equipping that's really you true, yeah. in every relationship. He's equipping you in every scenario. He's at work 
all the time. It's either true that God has always been at work in your life in every moment, in every circumstance, that he is and that he always will be, or that he's never been at work. Ooh, that's good. He, he's always been at work, and that's what Joseph is figuring out. God is, and he gets it, right? So he's developed character. So when Pharaoh calls him up and says, I've heard that you can interpret, you can interpret dreams, he says, no, but God can. Yeah. So he's learned the humility. Okay. Wow. And then he says, well, and then through me, he interprets the dreams. Mm-hmm. So he didn't take himself out of the equation. He'd been trained. He'd been equipped. He's grown in character. He understands his calling. And then he allows God to use him in that way. But all of those Potiphar's house, the jail, all the, none of that was wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of that was wasted time. It wasn't like he was on the sideline. God is always equipping you. Yeah. And I think I just want to clarify <laughs> Just for a second, I'm all about Bible studies. Yeah. And I'm all about like the yeah. body. No, it's and super, going to the super needed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just mean, don't, I was trying to say, I mean, don't let that be the only place or thinking that's the only place that you're going to be equipped. Yeah. Or that that's the only place that God's going to flesh out your character. Mm-hmm. Or if you think that if you go to this, then suddenly everything's all better. Mm-hmm. That's what I was. Just for clarification yeah. on that. A, there's a false sacred secular divide. Yes. Right? And and we think maybe only training in the church is the only training worth doing. No, that is worth doing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Definitely 100%. do that. Absolutely. But God's training you in all, I mean, at your workplace, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with your calling, right? Yeah. A lot of times people think their calling is equated to church work, mm-hmm. but that's, most people's calling is in their jobs, in their families, in their the community they already are living in, yeah. right? That's where it's going to be lived out. Not, you know, some of it's church work, but I'd say 90% of it is not mm-hmm. yeah. work in this sort of corporate body called the church, but it's outside in the world where you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then what happens in, because then you talk a little bit about community, mm-hmm. right? So then how does community play into your calling? So it, it's not an option. Mm. Community is not an add-on. It's first of all, it's the nature of the Trinity. Yeah. It's the nature of God Himself, right? It's this word perichoresis, like this the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are constantly in interplay, right? Mm-hmm. It's like circle, they're dancing, they're they're loving each other. It's the nature and the fabric of the universe. So they are a community. It's other in community. They yeah. are a community. And we're yeah. always and be invited to be a Christian. You're being invited into a community. Into community. We talk, Paul talks about the body of Christ, right? Uh-huh. And there's only one body. There's only one, you know, there's only one. And you're part of it. You're yeah. part of that community. And you have a, sp- a specific calling. You have specific gifts. You have a, spe- you know, some people the eye, some people the nose, mm-hmm. some people the ear. And so if you're going to live into your calling, it's never going to be apart. From the body. From the body. Mm. It's never going to be separated from the community. In fact, the community will also affirm that call. If the community yeah. says, I don't see what you're, you, you're telling me this is your call. I don't quite see it. I'm not sure it's the right time. I'm not sure you're equipped enough. I'm not right. And so the, the community itself helps us discern not only is that the call, but how do I live it out? What's the timing of it? What might I need to be do to prepare to, to step into these yeah. things? So the community is vital. And that's where I think you're also going to need some level of humility. That's where I was going, yeah. (laughs) To be able to say, like, here's what I'm feeling and here's where I'm at. And then to really allow the people who are Mm -hmm. following Jesus. And so let's be clear on we're talking community that is actively pursuing Jesus and that is actively involved in the body of Christ and Mm -hmm. is doing the stuff. And probably, you know, some of that is... In part of that community, they may be like one, two, three, however many steps ahead of you in maturity. So they'll be able to give you good guidance and biblical guidance in that. Yeah. But it takes, I mean, it takes a lot to be able to come into a, to come into a community and say, here's all my dreams, visions, and calling that I think are from the Lord. But to sit down with people and say, tell me where I'm at. Or tell me what you're seeing. Or what's, or what's it like on the other side of me? What's it like on the other side of me? Is this in line? Or, I mean, I've had exactly. people that you're like, what's your dream? And you tell them the dream. And then they're like, well, have you done any? Like, I don't see any of like your actions aren't lining up with what you're saying your dream is. Can we look at that for just a second? 
but we have to be willing to be teachable mm-hmm. within a community. And we have to be willing to know where our part is, what part of the body we are based on seeing the parts that other people are carrying. You know, one of the things I love to say is that Jesus, I mean, he's some things maybe not be clear, but he certainly was clear on sending everybody out two by two. He never sends anybody out alone when he needs a donkey. Nope. Not one person. Nope. Send them out by two. That's the nature of community. That community, and that's really kind of that third thing, it encourages us, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so what keeps us away from our calling is if you don't have the encouragement of the community, it's very hard to live out your calling. Mm-hmm. You can't do it alone. You can't discern it alone. God won't let you do it alone, frankly. And so how do you partner with other people? How do mm-hmm. you humble yourself mm-hmm. to the community? But he'll also use, in Joseph's case, right, he'll use the broken community of his family Oh yeah. to reveal stuff. And then he uses the community at Potiphar's house to equip him. Then he uses the community in jail. Yeah. And then when he gets out, Joseph has to create a community to even live out his calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, admit, he didn't go, it says that he accounted for all the grain throughout Egypt. He didn't go to every place and do it himself. He built a team of people who were equipped and trained, who lined up with his calling. And so within the body of Christ, that calling will, if you faithfully live into it, it will create community around you. Yeah, that's good. And so you're always going to be in some some form of community and some form of interacting with people. And so you, what you're saying, Alan, is that God will either use that for the sanctification process right. and we'll use that for the testing and for the character development. And then as you grow and as you get better, then suddenly the people around you are getting better also. And then you've created a community that's advancing the gospel and everyone's doing what they're called to do. Mm-hmm. That, the reason I think that's important is because I've seen so many people disillusioned when they come into the community that's the church and it's not perfect. Right. Yeah. And people hurt their feelings or say things mm-hmm. they didn't or act in a way or betray them. Right. And so I and started instead of saying, oh, the Christian community is like perfect. And this is the place where everything right. just gets clear. Right. God uses broken community, which is also the church. Yeah. To refine us, to shape us. Mm-hmm. How can we stay in a community? And I think this the generation I see, they, they desire community, but I'm not sure they're willing to pay the price of community, yeah. endure the suffering that comes with community. Um, and it's community is great when it's working, but it also can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Because it's people. It's people, and we're broken. And at some point, though, to reach that level of maturity, I mean, Dr. Laura always says, like, the sign of an immature Christian is one who can't get along with others. But you know that, that feeling whenever someone does hurt your feelings or something happens because we're all people. But when you choose to plant and stick it out and remain committed to that person or to that, like you, God moves in that mm-hmm. because that's what he does with us. That's his nature. It's his nature. And so when we do that, we're actually demonstrating the nature mm-hmm. of God because what he did is he remains committed to us whenever and how often, like just taking it back for a second, but in our relationship with our creator, we're not perfect. He's the only one who is, and he's the only one who's yeah. faithful, and he's the only one who sticks it out. But what God said to us through the cross was, I'm committed to you, mm-hmm. and I'm committed to this relationship regardless of how it pans out on your end. But I know that I'm committed to you. Yeah, one of the things that the Lord when he was dealing with my judgment, really opened my eyes to was Jesus's words, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. And see, my judgment was, well, they should know what they're doing or they do know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course they should be better than that. Of course. And mm-hmm. then judgment comes. So being in community is having that spirit of Christ mm-hmm. that, and often God says, if you knew what was going on in their lives, it would break your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And forgive them. Mm-hmm. Just as I've forgiven you of everything. And so as we enter in community with that sense, it's possible. But when I enter into it with this, I expect more out of you. I expect more out of the church. I expect more out of my parents. I expect more out of my friend. I yep. expect, then that community can't 
bear the weight of it. Only Christ can bear the weight of the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. Because then we're entering into that community, expecting them to cater to all of our needs. Because we're we're the most important people. We're right. the most important one. We're the most the important world, one in the room. The world revolves around us, Molly. Yeah. I, didn't they, they tell you? And they should do it. They should do yeah. it. They should do it. They should, you know, that idea. Right. They uh -huh. should. The church should do this for me. They should care for me. They should. And that, as soon as you get down that, it's a that trail ends into... But it's not. What happens whenever actually, like, just what happens when actually you plant yourself into a community where you're all committed to each other, and then you each individually go to Jesus to fulfill the God-shaped hole and to fill your needs of belonging and acceptance mm -hmm. and security. And then from that place, you enter in a community, not for those things. It not changes. trying to get fulfillment right. to fill those God-shaped holes from Instead another person. Instead of trying person. to get it, you're going full, and then you can actually offer it mm -hmm. and it's impart beautiful. that into the room. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, that's, that's the, that's acts, you know, yeah. they had nothing in common and yet they had everything, everything in common. Mm -hmm. And then the fruits of the spirit just start pouring out yes. joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. That's, that's what happens in that community. And that's also seen with the life of Jesus is that he repeatedly says in the new Testament that I do my father's will. So, and he repeatedly goes off into solitude in the wilderness to spend time with the father. So he's getting his needs met. Mm -hmm. His like his his emotional spiritual needs met by the father first, and so when he comes by by having that need met, when he goes back into his you know little group of his community of twelve disciples and all the people surrounding that, he's able to give out because yeah. he's not he's not trying to you know find his fulfillment on those twelve disciples or in the the crowds around him. He's he's finding his fulfillment, his identity, and in his worth and his value through the father first. And would you say this is how, I mean, this is how Judas was able to sit at the table? Well, yeah, because Jesus, Jesus knew, I mean, he's fully God and fully man. He knew that, that this was, this is a deal with Judas and he is probably going to be the one to, to forsake him, you know, to but deny him. Still but he still, him. he still chose Jesus, uh, Judas and he still um, had desires for him. Like, I see all these beautiful things in you, Judas, of, of what the father's put in of you. Of what could be. Of what could be, Yeah. And that's where, that's where at that level is what we're called to love, which that takes the character development because it's all fun and games and we're all, you know, we can all say these things by ourselves, but it's whenever it's put into community and we're put around other people that all of this starts being tested and that all of this starts coming out. And, and Jesus suffered in the community because it, he, as a human, Right. He said to his disciples, please come with me and pray. Please stay yeah. up with me. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a he wanted the community mm -hmm. around him. Mm -hmm. Right. He wanted them not to betray him. They wanted him to, to stand strong. Like he asked the, uh, that of them. Right. Yeah. And so being fully man, mm -hmm. he entered into that. We need one another. Yeah. We, we want one another around us. But ultimately, as you said, he goes to the father. Mm -hmm. He doesn't put that weight on the community yes. itself. He puts it only on the Father. And even the whole storyline of the Bible is a is a constant story of man trying to do the, you know, trying to do all these different things. They're failing, they're sinning, and, and God and the Son, Jesus, are constantly forgiving, constantly forgiving, constantly forgiving, because he, they're faithful and they're in that covenant relationship, yeah. like with, with us as believers. And so there's this constant uh, storyline of God forgiving us all through the Bible, and so for us to not operate like that is meaning we're not operating like God and, and Jesus you know, clearly operate in the Bible of constantly forgiving, yeah. releasing any kind of offense. I mean, that, not that God and Jesus have offense, but like when we get into communities, sometimes it's, you know, it can be challenging dealing, yeah. dealing with people because they are people. And, and so it's that constant invitation, well, are you going to forgive? And just like Jesus did on the cross, that's mind-blowing to me that mm -hmm. that Jesus is on the cross. He's physically suffering, emotionally, I mean, all like totally suffering for our behalf. And yet he can look down and, and say, I, you know, I forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And that's the... I mean, that's the level of forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in as well. 
Like how, and you can't walk in that level of forgiveness following Jesus and still harbor a critical spirit towards mm-hmm. other people. It just doesn't work. So, all right, Alan, let's go then to the last thing, which is the encouragement component, right? Yeah. So the encouragement is what happens to the community. And that actually leads you to what I would say is your ministry. Yeah. Right? So God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. Everybody wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Everybody wants to be fruitful in their life. We want a purpose to live into, right? So we see at the end of the life of Joseph, right? He gets called. He gets equipped. He's building his character. He's equipping him in terms of his administration ability within these communities. And then he puts him in a place of great fruitfulness in his ministry. God's working through him, and he saves the world with yeah. seven years of stored grain. And so wow. that's where we want to get to is that ministry. And what I would say is too many people want to jump straight from calling, kind of like Joseph. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's all have it all, all the fruit come right now. Yeah. And they want to skip over all those other parts. They want to skip past the training. They want to skip past the character building. They want to skip past the dealing with their suffering and pain and trauma. They want to skip past the difficulties of being in community. They want, But when your ministry flows out of those things, as we see in the life of Joseph, that's where the fruitfulness comes. Mm-hmm. So again, looking back at Jesus, right? What does he do? He calls his disciples. He then spends three years with them, equipping yeah. them, training them on how to do things in prayer. And how is this done? He sends them out. They come back. He's building their character, right? All within that community. So he's setting them up for their ministry. And then you get that Matthew 28 moment. Then he's going to send them out to go be fruitful in the world. Okay. Now he still keeps calling them. He still keeps equipping them. Yeah. He still keeps them in community. Sends them out two by two. And that's where the fruitfulness comes from. That's where your ministry flows out of. And so that's my encouragement to people is we all want to get to that point. There's no shortcuts. There's no skipping over these component parts of discipleship. But as we enter into that, that's where you're going to see that fruitfulness. That's where you're going to see what your ministry is. And again, not church work, not, hey, do this. You know, everybody needs to be a Sunday school teacher. But your ministry could be is is usually in your workplace, usually in your family, usually in the community that you already find yourself in. And he's Mm going to transform that into fruitful life. Yeah, so good. So what I'm hearing is that, so all of these things can be happening simultaneously. So it's not like a check the box, calling, (laughs) equipping, community, ministry. It's not like that. kind. It's like all of these components coming together is what makes this fruitful ministry with the ministry being the thing that you've been called to do exactly wherever you are. That's correct. America, we'd like to make it, if it's four steps to get to fruitful ministry. Right. Right. That's yeah. not what we're saying. Yeah. We're saying it's constantly calling, hearing yeah. his voice. Mm-hmm. It's constantly being equipped in developing your character and your skills. Yeah. It's constantly being in community yes. so that you have the right discernment to know what those good works are to live out. Mm-hmm. That's how you order your life. You figure out what to say yes to mm-hmm. and what to say no to. Yeah, that's very true. And that's what Jesus, I think, models mm-hmm. for us. He, we see it in the life of his disciples. We see it played out in a sort of extravagant way in the life of Joseph. But we're invited into that life. And that's what everyone's invited into today. Yeah. Then one, one question I would have, too, is like, so we started off with the story of Joseph as a 17-year-old. He gets this like crazy dreams, you know. And so I know you have a, a son uh, who's in college. And so what would you say... To somebody of that age bracket, the younger generation, you know, like how to steward your your calling in life, what you desire to do in life. Because like Joseph probably didn't do like the best job of the handling the dream with his family and that sort of stuff. But also, I just kind of wonder, like, like many of us have that short that shortcoming of not being able to see it, that dream for the long haul, the long picture. Like you get discouraged in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, to like, and you've already described the scenario. We think that, okay, God's given me this call, calling, so it's going to happen by next month. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. And so I know, and, and you know, being younger and um, it, it's, it's so difficult to see in a long range 
viewpoint and like everything, we think everything as a young person is going to happen by tomorrow. <laughs> so what would you say to somebody of your son's age or in the 20s, college or post-college? Well, you've touched on a couple of the points. One is trying to, again, if we look at scripture, look at the life of Moses, look at the life of Joseph, look at the life of all that. God's work takes longer. It's it's never this instantaneous, you know, hey, it, it just all happens, right? So I try to get them to have a long view, A. B, I want them to talk about it within community. What do you see in me? What are my gifts? Where yeah. where do I need to grow? Where do I need to learn? Do I have any character deficiencies that are being played out? And the sooner they can figure those things out, the better off they are. Now, in terms of what they do, I think the younger you are, that assignment can be very broad. I almost don't care what you do when you're 20, because mm-hmm. God's going <laughs> to use that to equip you. Yeah. Almost, it, it almost doesn't matter. Now, once you get to, let's say, to into your 60s, you should have a pretty fine-tuned sense of what you should be saying yes and no to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'd like to give them a broad picture of where that's going. So don't be so concerned you're going to miss it or it's not going to work out, right? Even if Joseph had better character, he still might have had to go to Potiphar's house <laughs> and go to jail and all those things, yeah. right? So he's going to have these assignments, some of them positive assignments that he'll give you and some of them negative assignments that are painful that you see how, oh, he's equipping me in what not to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's going to send both of those your way. It's mm-hmm. just, it's suffering, right? You're mm-hmm. going to, what do you do when you're in suffering? Right? How do you turn to him? So I want to give him a broader picture, you know, not like you got to figure it out right now and you got to know exactly what you should be doing or you're missing it. Like yeah. that's Ugh. not God at all. That brings fear. Yeah. That's, that's fear and anxiety and all that. It's like, you're not going to miss it. He's equipping you. He's using you right where you are. Even if you made a quote unquote bad choice, mm-hmm. Right. He's going to redeem that. He's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. He's going to use, because right, Genesis 50, the last thing that Joseph says, right? It doesn't matter, he says to your brothers, what you've done. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good mm-hmm. yeah. so that he could save the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's how you look at, that's what I would say to my son, is all <laughs> of this. It doesn't matter. Even if you strayed, even if you went a different direction, God will redeem that and turn that. He will use even those things to equip, train you so that you can live out your calling and Mm -hmm. you step into the ministry that he's called for you to do. That's so good. Yeah, and I know like, I think it's Jeremiah 29, 11, and everybody is familiar with that passage that about having, uh, that God says, yeah, I have plans for you for good and, and hope for the future. But the word plan is actually plural, plans. Yeah. So like, and that that really brings a lot of comfort to me and probably to a lot of other people to know that like, like you said, when we have those times in our life where we, we've screwed up and we've made these mistakes and oh my gosh, have I missed it? And have I gotten off? Have I totally missed my calling? And, and is this like a, um, like the deal is done and I I can't go back. You know what I mean? It's like, I've gotten off the path and there's no other way back. And exactly. But the, in that Jeremiah 29, 11, the word plans, it's plural. Yeah. Hmm. And it, and the, the word, the, there's a Hebrew word, aharit, in that Jeremiah 29, that those plans and the future as it unfolds, what it, what it means is it actually lines up with all of your past events. And so your past is the best indicator of where God's leading you. So if you're telling me that your calling lines up nothing to do with your past, nothing to do with your story, wow. nothing to do with your life, then you're missing it. Okay. It's going to line up mm-hmm. with what God's done, the painful events, the great things that have happened to you. All of your life, your story then gets grafted into God's story, mm-hmm. and that's how calling comes together, but it lines up. So I would tell them, don't ignore your past. Don't come up with some pipe dream calling that has nothing to do with who you are in your yeah. identity because nothing was mistake, right? He mm-hmm. gave you the parents. He put you in this time. Mm-hmm. He put you in that circumstance. God allowed all of that. So your calling is going to line up with your story and your experiences. That's so good. Wow. That's, that's really good. Like, I mean, that's it <laughs> right wow. there. So I think then as we wrap up, um, do either of you have any kind of final thoughts? No, I mean, this has been, this has been super fun. I really appreciate this, Alan. I've enjoyed it. All right. Well, 
then here's what I am hearing. Is that if you're someone who's listening right now and you've been in this place of, of calling and, and, you, and you can kind of start to discern the voice of God and you kind of know what you want to do and you have those dreams that are inside of you that seem like they're not coming to pass or that it's not working out, then to take a step back and to look for Jesus, to look for how he's equipping you, for look at the people around you, to see what community he's placed you in to see if there's any mentors around you who can help you walk this out and then to press in. And I like that when Alan's talking about the calling, it's to be able to discern the voice of God. And then whenever Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, there's also another part to that that says, and they follow it. And so you can't just hear the calling or hear the voice of God. There's got to be an action component to it and they follow it. And so if you see that and you can see kind of the area that, that God's pushing you or pulling you into to just step out in faith and follow that voice, regardless of what it looks like. So we're praying for you. We say, thank you, Jesus, that you know each and every listener intimately. Jesus, you know what you designed them for. God, you knew before the foundations of the earth what each person would do and how each person would flow in their ministry, and how each person would live out their calling within their true identity of who you created them to be. God, I ask that you speak to each listener clearly, Lord, that they would lean into that still small voice, that they would lean into the whisper. And Jesus, that you would give them a boldness and a courage to step out in faith to do exactly what they're called to do. So we love you guys. We're praying for you guys. And thank you, Sandy. And thank you, Alan, for being here. This has been so much fun. Thank you. And again, I just want to give a couple of references. The book was called The Good Soil. And then we also have our Journey of Restoration e-course CPR style. Which the links will be in the show notes. Yes. If you guys want to go a little bit deeper into the things that we discussed today. And then we'll put a link to Alan's book on that too. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.